0: I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Psalm 100. We'll be working through this Psalm together, so there are Bibles in your pews. I encourage you to turn, if you will. Psalm 100. We are grateful for the music that we have shared, which leads us to our worship and our praise and our thanksgiving of our God. Psalm 100. A psalm of thanksgiving. Where we read. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. This is the word of god for the people of god thanks be to god let us pray god we are just so grateful for this privilege of studying your word together and celebrating a season of thanksgiving and god as i now stand before these your people i pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of jesus christ amen It is hard to believe that it is already Thanksgiving, that it's already the holiday season. I mean, there are some years that seem like they go pretty quickly. This is one of those years, for me anyway, that seems like it has flown by, that, that we're already to the point of thawing out the turkey. I mean, we're that close. And then the terrifying thing with that is that it, that means that Christmas is just around the corner, and, and that can be exciting, but for those of us who work in the church, it's like, oh, Christmas is just around the corner. The other night, Nancy and I were leaving our home, and uh, we noticed in our neighborhood several people already have their Christmas lights up, their trees are up, and, and everything is shining and going, and, and then it hit me, oh no, because what we do right after Thanksgiving is put up ours. And I always have that one moment of fear that I always pray about right after, you know, right when we're decorating the house. And that's when you, you plug in the lights. <laughs> and you're going, God, please, this year, this year, Lord, let them all burn, you know. And, and, and so one year, you know, we, we bought all new stuff and we plugged it in. It was like, yes. And then the next year, it was like, they're not working Oh, there's nothing I do not enjoy more than, than having to go through and find out what is the problem and to try to get it fixed. We're there. You know, it seems, though, that, that Thanksgiving does each year get more and more absorbed by Christmas. You know, and it kind of just gets overshadowed by, by Christmas. I, uh, we have this WhatsApp app for our family because there's like 40 of us now from my mother down, you know, now that there are kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And, and there was a little period of time where they were blowing up our text messaging because I have some family members who think they have to reply to everything that everybody says. And so when there are 39 other people besides you, but you feel that you need to reply and just say, okay, for some reason, that you're the one we were waiting to hear okay from, now that they think it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> we finally created this WhatsApp app, you know, so that we can now get this message, but it's set on silent, so, you know, I can look at it kind of whenever I want to. And and, and so there was a message came out the other night. said, just a reminder, Thanksgiving is on Thursday at 530. And then immediately after, we're going shopping. And I went, wow, you know, I mean, it's scary. Christmas is absorbing Thanksgiving so much. Thanksgiving used to last for three days. The first Thanksgiving, three days. In a recent survey, Nancy was sharing with me that she saw that that they were asking the question, how long does it take before family starts getting under your skin? Under four hours. No wonder we're shopping on Thanksgiving Day now. (laughs) Hurry up and eat the turkey, then we're done with these people. Right? Thanksgiving, though, is quite a powerful time for us to pause and, and to give thanks to God for all that we have. At least as Christians, Thanksgiving may be different for us. I mean, we, we live in an interesting time and an interesting world, but as Christians, how do we celebrate Thanksgiving? We have so much to be thankful to God for. I love Psalm 100. It's that psalm that is designed to lead us to a time of thanksgiving and praise and worship of our God. The psalmist begins in verse 1 saying, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. And this is a call to worship. This this psalm is reaching out not only to those of us that are in the community of faith, and not only before that to the Hebrew people or the Jewish people of the time, but actually the message was all the earth, all of creation, come together and worship our God, give thanks to our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. This is known as a processional psalm. There There's some words in here in the Hebrew that would have reminded us of, of the call that would have been given out for the people of the kingdom to have gathered before the throne of the king. But here, the call is, get, is reaching out to all of creation to go, now gather before the throne of God. Come into the temple to worship and praise God. It's a processional psalm and an enthronement psalm. But it's a time for us to gather before our God and offer praise. Together before a throne is kind of challenging for us. It's not really part of our culture. As you know, a couple months ago I had the privilege of spending eighteen days in the Scotland area and the England area doing some study at Durham University <laughs> with Doctor David Wilkinson and his team and One of the things that we did, my wife Nancy was able to join us over for the latter part of the the trip, and so we we made some trips around, you know, to see the various palaces, you know, Buckingham, Windsor, Kensington, to go, you know, and kind of look around going, I think I can live this way. And then you're going, but where do they watch a ball game? I can't just imagine, you know, sitting down in one of these rooms watching the ball game. I mean, there's got to be another room somewhere. But you know, there, it was interesting. You get there, and and here's this chair. You know, this is the chair where the queen sat during the coronation, and you can you know you can kind of see these things. And in various rooms, you know, there would be up here would be where there would be a couple of chairs. That's where the queen would sit, and and when people would come and gather, you know, there was this this difference between where they sat and where the rest of the people would sit. And and, and as we were kind of walking through them, it, I was admiring all the space within. It just started feeling a little uncomfortable to me because I'm going, but these are people. They're just human beings. We have the privilege of being called before the throne of God. That God himself has invited us into his presence and and so we're called to make this joyful noise to the Lord, to, to worship the Lord with gladness. I mean, the psalmist is laying out a pattern for us to show that that when we come in before the presence of God, the the natural response of being in the presence of God is worship. That when we come into the presence of God, that natural response would be that sense of awe and that sense of worship. Worship. It's an amazing privilege to be able to join together and worship God. And I love the way we in our culture talk about an intimate relationship with God, and I believe in an intimate relationship with God, a, a very real and personal relationship with God. But the challenge of it is, is that we, we not move into such a point that we forget the, the sense of awe, the sense of reverence, the sense of holiness, that we are in the presence of the Almighty God. Called to worship. When you look up that Hebrew word for worship, it's abad, which, which actually can mean worship or to serve. But what's interesting is you go, what part of speech is the word worship? It's a verb. Worship is a verb. Now, we tend to turn it into a noun where we go, we're going to worship. It, it's become an event. An act, it, it's become something where we go to, something we experience. But it's actually a verb that we're called to do. To, it's an action word. The people of God worshiping God. To serve God, to be in the presence, to worship God with gladness to to enter his presence with singing i actually love the way the new international version creates or shares verse one and instead of saying make a joyful noise to the lord it it says shout for joy to the lord i love that phrase shout for joy to the lord i mean i I don't understand you sometimes we can go to a ball game for our kids when our kids are little and they're not even playing that well We're not even playing that well and and and, you know we can we can look at our kids and they're out there and we are shouting we're cheering them on go I mean we're just really into it and and we're having a great time and on Friday night football you know when when our kids are at high school you know we go to the high school games and, and and you would think that the world depended on this this game because we are so into it we're having such a great time and then on Saturdays you know with our college teams or whatever we're watching and then we used to on Sunday I'm kidding. I am still a Panthers fan. (laughs) When we get so excited about our sports teams, you know, we we get into the games and we have the greatest time. And and, and so, what the scripture is saying here when we join together to worship is our call to worship is not just to, to come into the house of God, but to shout for joy. I love that word doxology that we, we share and, and we turn and we sing this song. We go, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And, and you'll notice that you sung a couple songs today that had that, that the tune is entitled the Old 100th, recognizing the 100th Psalm, attributing to the 100th Psalm. But, but what's so powerful about it is, is it's, a, it's a call to praise God. Uh, Nancy and I were at a church not long ago, and, and when we were leaving, you know, I just—I finally just told her we, we were riding on the road. I said, you know, if if I had to do this every Sunday, if I had to if I had to be there every Sunday and worship like that every Sunday, I think I would just quit church because I thought I was at a funeral and it wasn't a funeral, but everything seemed kind of dead. We join together to worship a living, loving God, and so we're called to enter in His presence and, and to sing praise, to shout for joy, to make a joyful noise to the Lord because we're in the presence of the Almighty God, the God who could create the world simply saying the word, the God who so loved the world that He, he intervenes and takes on human form. We're about to celebrate that starting next Sunday as we get ready for Christmas. A God who's so loved that he's willing to die on a cross that we might be forgiven, to rise that we might have life, to promise to always be with us thick and thin. I mean, that's the God we're here to worship. Every Sunday was a Sunday to worship. So enter into his gates, shout to the Lord, singing songs as we worship God together. And then verse 3 Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now, This is a confession that as you join together to worship, as you come into this place shouting to the Lord, as you come into this place singing songs of praise to your God, know who your God is. You need to know who your God really is. And there's actually a message in here that we miss in the English. But in the Hebrew, it's there. And in the English, there is a tell that it's there. And that's when it says, know that the Lord is God. The word Lord is in all caps. Take a look at your Bibles. Most of our Bibles, the word Lord is all caps. We've looked at this before. But it's important that we get it because it changes everything that's being said here. The word Lord is all caps because in the Hebrew, actually under the language, there's the word God. There's the word, the name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh. It comes from Exodus 3, verse 14, when Moses is called to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And and he goes, they're going to want to know who sent me. I mean, if I tell them God sent me, they're going to know what God. How do we know what's the name of God? And the name of God is, I am that I am. Yahweh. But one of the commandments is that we never take the Lord's name in vain. And there was such a fear that we could dare utter the name of this amazing God in such a way that was full of reverence and all that we might take God's name in vain. Then there was a substitution of the title of Lord for the name of God, lest we utter it improperly. And then there became derivatives of it because Yahweh becomes Jehovah or Jehovah. Which is the name of God but not exactly the name of God lest we dare take the name in vain. So what does this say when it says now know the Lord is God? It's not simply know that the Lord you serve is God. It's know that Yahweh the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, not just some generic God, but this is a specific God, do you know that this God is God? That Yahweh is God. It reminds us, we looked at this a couple weeks ago when we were studying in, in Eli- the message with Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 where Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal were up on Mount Carmel and they were having a contest to see whose god was really God and the prophets of Baal tried all day long but their god couldn't do anything because their god wasn't real and then Elijah prays that God would reveal himself. And God reveals God's self in this amazing way. And all the people bow down and they begin to cry out, the Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. Except for that word Lord is Yahweh. You know what they were really saying? Your God is the real God. Yahweh is the real God. There is none other. This is God. The psalmist here wants you to know when you come to worship, you might worship differently if you know who your God is. You might worship differently if you know who your God is. We're not here to worship some generic God that a group of people voted and go, now our God at this church is, this is the God. This is the God who so loved us. That according to John chapter 1, took on flesh and lived among us. That which we're about to celebrate as we move into Christmas. It's why then when Jesus rose from the dead in John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas sees him and and realizes this is the risen Christ, what did he say? He said, my Lord and my God, know who your God is. Gail O'Day, who was at Emory University in Atlanta when I was there and then came up to Wake Forest Seminary here in, in uh, North Carolina, but in her commentary she writes that this is the most powerful confession of Jesus' identity in the gospel. It's The most powerful confession of Jesus' identity in the gospel because Thomas lets us know very clearly this is our Lord and our Know the Lord is God. It is he that made us. We're his, the sheep of his pasture. This, God is our creator. We're his people. That's the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. It's the covenant that God gave us again in Jeremiah 31 when he said, "You know, I'm going to write a new covenant. This one will be on their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. You're the people of God. You are the people of God, the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4, So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. You see what the psalmist is doing? Call together all the people of the earth and let us come into this place with singing. Let us celebrate who our God is. Know who your God is. And now that you're worshiping because you know who your God is, you can enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his holy name. See, we join together and celebrate a God who is alive, a God who is real. We're not looking for some kind of Jesus pep rally, but genuine worship that's an authentic recognition we are in the presence of the almighty God. And God has invited us to be his people. And verse 5, For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You know that word good there, actually when you look at the Hebrew, it means the Lord is gracious. The Lord is loving. The Lord is kind. The Lord is merciful. All those nuances of the Hebrew word. The Lord is good. Back one of my first thanksgivings, or actually the first thanksgiving that I celebrated as you as your pastor, was when I preached the sermon on November the 23rd of 2008. And I know that because I'm so so type A that I have a spreadsheet that has every time I've preached a scripture to you, what the sermon title was, what it was about, so I could cross-reference everything. So I know that it was on that Sunday that I shared with you a sermon about this little prayer that we often pray. I mean, isn't it neat that sometimes what we teach our children is actually the deepest theology? For example, a great theologian was asked the question, if you were to summarize everything that you believe, if you were just to try to, to wrap it up one point that you would want to get across to the world, what would it be? And he thought about it, he goes, it would be, Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, He was this amazing theolo- theologian, but that's the essence. And, and then there's this other one, and, and it's this beautiful little prayer that we teach our children. And it goes like this. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. For by his hands we all are fed. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. Amen. That was the prayer that we prayed when I was, I was growing up, you know. And so every time we sat down, you know, three meals a day, you went through, God is great. And the challenge was the youngest kid in the family ha- had to pray the prayer. And, and I was the fourth of five, so, you know, it was up to me for about four years until my younger brother comes along and he's able to do it. But then he didn't have anybody after him until the oldest brother started having kids. I mean, so he, he ended up having to pray that prayer. I mean, he was, you know, who does the blessing? It's the little guy. You know, so it's the youngest kid. And, and, and so he got it down pat to where he could make an auctioneer look like an amateur. I mean, it was God's great. God's good loathing. You can mean, pour food by his hands. Thank you, the Lord, thank you the Lord. I mean, it was fast. I mean, we could go right through it, but it's powerful theology. Maybe we ought to slow down and listen to it because it's God is great this amazing, awesome God that could create the world by simply saying the words. But you want to hear something horrifying? Imagine a God who was great, but evil. Imagine a God who had all kinds of infinite power, but was evil and cruel. Imagine a God who simply created human beings to be toys to play with, to manipulate, to mess with, to entertain Imagine what it would be like if we had that kind of God. But the good news, when we pray that prayer, is we're reminded not only is God great, amazing, powerful, and can do all things, but praise be to God, He is good, merciful, kind, loving. So let us thank Him for our food, for it's by His hands that we all are fed. So thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. The psalmist says, for the Lord is good. His love is steadfast. It it endures forever. It's not that that God loved you yesterday, but today you're on shaky grounds. But that God's love for us is so steadfast, like we always share with our children, there's nothing you can do to keep us from loving you. You may disappoint us, you may break our hearts, but we will always love you. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness is to all generations. You've got a God you can count on thick or thin. No wonder then Psalm 34 verse 8 reminds us, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Dr. James May, great, May is a great biblical scholar, said that true worship occurs when we know who God is and why He is to be praised. Know the Lord, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. Thanksgiving is that holy time. It's it's hard for us if we're honest. I think it's hard for us to be a thankful people in an entitlement culture. And I think, you know, we've been unfair a little bit to the younger generation because we tend to say about the younger generation, you know, that's the entitlement generation. I don't think that's fair. I think we're in an entirely entitlement culture. But I just think that's our culture for all of us if we're not careful. But Thanksgiving for Christians is a day for us to pause, a time for us to pause, to, to recognize who our God is. And, and as it, it always bothered me that, that that we were losing Thanksgiving, that Christmas was kind of absorbing and, and taking over Thanksgiving. But I've, I'm finally coming around to this, and, and that is maybe it's not a bad thing that we have Thanksgiving on Thursday, and the next Sunday we're going to join together and prepare for Christmas. Because we as Christians, if we have anything to be thankful for, it's that we have a God who so loves and will intervene and take on human form. Maybe it's okay that the two kind of come together. Because as Christians, how can we not be a thankful people when we know that we have a God who so loves that he will intervene? It's Thanksgiving. And the psalmist wants us to get it. That we worship a Lord with gladness. We come into his presence with singing. Because we know that Yahweh is God. That it is he that made us. We are his. We're the people and the sheep of his pasture. So we enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thank you, God. His courts with praise. Praise be to God. And we give thanks to his holy name. For our Lord is good, merciful, kind, and loving. His steadfast love endures forever. And he is faithful to all generations. You need something to be thankful for? I think we've got it. I think we've got it.